Stand up on your feet. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 5. Just going to give you three little verses of Scripture this morning. Power-packed as we start a brand new series today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. These are the words of Christ, red letter. Here's what it says. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they put um, a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Father, we thank you for your word today. Pray you speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Lord, I bind any hindrance and distraction right now that you would help us to focus on your word today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Amen. 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 Praise God. We're excited that you're here this morning. Well, I don't know about you, but I hope that you came with an open heart. I hope that you came with open expectation in the Lord speaking to your life. You see, we don't come just for to check something off of our religious box. I, I truly believe that when we come together and give and worship and sing and read from the Word of God that something transformational happens in our lives. So this morning, I'm going to uh, ask you to, to just pay attention and to grab a hold and see what God would speak to our lives. But um, before we get in this morning, I want to say that uh, I really enjoyed that series that we did last month. I hope you did as well. There are lots of ways that you can go back and connect with that and watch and listen and restudy those notes. That's why we make those available to you because we want you to be able to digest that word and let it become a part of your life. But this morning, we're going to start a brand new series inspired from Matthew 5 called The City on a Hill. We're going to be looking at transformation, the role of the church in the community, the role of the Christian in everyday life. Uh, I pray in the next few weeks that you are inspired. Pray that you walk away say, my goodness, I never thought about that like that before. But more than you being inspired, I pray that we all walk away from this environment challenged, not condemned. God's not in the condemning business. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But we're in a bad shape in the body of Christ when we think that conviction is condemnation. Conviction is to the soul what pain is to the body. It tells us that something is wrong and we've got to make uh, adaptions in our life. I don't know about you, I welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. That was really, wow, that y'all are going to make me work today. I said, I welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. I don't trust myself to myself. Now listen, in my flesh, the scripture said, dwells no good thing. I don't trust my own self without the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So my prayer to my own life when I'm praying to Jesus, his, the Bible says that the entrance of your word brings light. We're supposed to walk in the light. And the light shines upon our lives to show us what we need to see. 
So this morning, I pray that you and I are challenged by the Word of God. You know, uh, this morning, reading out of our text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, Jesus makes this statement. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, a city that is on a hill. This morning, I want to talk to you for a few moments from the subject, salt and light. Very simple. Salt and light. As I was thinking about this over the last couple of weeks and I was praying about it, I began to think about this picture that is also true in many of our communities around the United States. It's certainly true in Europe, some of the most Christian, post-Christian nations of the world. I want you to imagine a small town. And in the center of this small town is this historic, beautiful church. It is the most iconic of churches. Big steeples, stained glass windows, seating 500 people. This church in its heyday was the center of the community. Uh, in fact, in this community, the church put up such a stand that the ball teams and the schools were not able to schedule anything on church nights or on Wednesday nights because they knew that the Christian families wouldn't put up with it. There was a standard in that community. And I want you to imagine this particular building that stands as a focal point of this community. Fast forward some years later. Now all of their members are aging. Their membership has dropped down from 500, which it was 30 years ago, to today. They're struggling to stay open with just 17 members. Their bank accounts are empty. Their pews are empty. Their baptismal is empty. Because somewhere along the way, they lost their vision. Somewhere along the way, they lost their heart. But meanwhile, in the same town, a local coffee shop noticed that there was a need for community among their people. So they had the greatest and most grandiose thing. And they it, it put this big area where people could come sit and talk and, and so what happened is, is that this coffee shop began to grow and people began to come and congregate there. And it just was a further reflection and an indictment on this once happening church that now the coffee shop has replaced the fellowship of the believer. Now, I wish that I could tell you that was allegory. But the truth is, I just described to you a majority of dying churches in America. You say, Pastor, I don't believe it. That's the problem. The problem is we live in our small bubble. There are people who live in Woodward County who were born in Woodward County and they will die in Woodward County and they have never left Woodward County. But just because you've never left Woodward County doesn't mean there's not a great big world out there beside, outside of our borders. I have been to Rome. I have seen the great cathedrals in Europe. 
that were part of the host of the Great Awakening that now are nothing but mausoleums, a shell of what they used to be. Because somewhere along the way, they had lost their vision. They had lost their saltiness. They had lost their effectiveness. While in our town, it may not be the coffee shop, but in most places in America, it's the ball stadiums. It's the competitions. It's everything that seems to vie for the attention of people. But what if I told you that God's design and intention for the church, for the community, for the fellowship of believers is for the church of Jesus Christ to be the center point, the focal point of its community, to be instruments of change. That's what God has called us to do. 2021 is the most recent study that we have. But LifeWay Research, which is Tom, uh, Tom Rainer and others in LifeWay, based on data from three, listen, three dozen denominations. Three dozen. Yes, there are that many. You've got Missionary Baptists, Southern Baptists, United Pentecostals, Divided Pentecostals, Church of God, Church of Christ, Church of God in Christ, Pentecost, Church of God, Assemblies of God, Assemblies of God of the world. We've got more flavors than Baskin-Robbins. Not necessarily anything wrong with that, but what I'm trying to tell you is that this was not a cherry pick thing from the dying movements of our nation. This is statistical research that was carefully crafted from three dozen different denominations in America. And here's what they found out. This 2021, we're in 23, and so this is a few years old, but I'm telling you, it's gotten worse. In 2021, a study from LifeWay said this. It said that in, in, the, in the year of 2021, 4,500 churches in America slammed their doors shut, padlocked it, sold the building, and never met again. 4,500. You say, well, Pastor, but we've got a, a great church planning movement. We, we do. But 4,500 churches closed. Only 3,000 new ones opened. Now, folks, I don't know about you. I'm, 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 I don't have the IQ of a rocket scientist, but I think we're supposed to be going the other way. Hello. We're not supposed to be going the, the other way. Now, the thing is, is that the Bible actually tells us that some of these things are going to happen. The Bible tells us that in the last days, there will be a great falling away. We're seeing that. In the last... Five years, there's been major Christian artists, musicians, gospel singers of all genres, from southern gospel to R&B to rap and, and everything in between, that have fallen away from their faith. They've renounced Christ. The, the uh, whole denominations have gone woke, embracing worldliness. They have. You see it. I see it. The writing is on the wall. The Bible tells us it's going to happen. So I don't think it's something that can be altogether avoided. However, I do believe 
that we can make a choice on whether or not we want to participate or not. Amen? You see, because simultaneously in the Bible, while the Bible also says in the last days there will be a great falling away, there's another event that happens. The Bible says that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And upon my maidens and handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Simultaneously in the last days, there's this thing that's happening. But you and I have to choose not to be a part of the trend that is de-escalating into darkness. We've got to make a choice. We are the salt and the light of the world. know about you this morning but I've made a decision what side of that fence I want to stay on in Matthew chapter 5 Jesus is giving the Beatitudes commonly called the Sermon on the Mount be the Mount of Olives you know and, and he's showing to people as he's up there on the Mount of Beatitudes and He's talking to the people about Christian character. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. He's, he's teaching them the principles of discipleship and Christian life and Christian living. And, and in the midst of all of this, Jesus parks himself in verse number 13, and he says, he says and you are the salt of the earth. Not you're going to become, he says, you are salt of the earth. He says, you are the light on the, of the world. You are the city on a hill. Now, Jesus was using mastery and imagery to show us something that applies to us today, but he was a master illustrator. He never mishandled his words. He never used things lightly without purpose. If God said something, it would be wise for us to go and figure out why he said something the way he said something because it obviously meant something significant. So they're on the Mount of Beatitudes and he's giving them this thing and Jesus makes this statement, you are a city on a hill. Who's he speaking to? That's important. He's speaking to his disciples who all of them at this point are Jewish believers. Off to the distance, I see it in my heart. I've been there so I can, I can visualize it. Over his shoulder stood the grandiose city of Jerusalem, which is the epitome of a city on a hill. David wrote the book of Psalms, and there's a section in the book, in, in, the, in, the, in Psalms, there's a whole section of chapters called the Psalms of Ascent. Because you, you, you had to have good legs to go to the temple. Because you had to walk up. And the glory and the beauty of the temple was every step you took up. Those cobblestone steps of the city of Jerusalem. It all rose to a pinnacle. And you saw that temple. That beautiful temple. 
Jesus turns and he says, you are a city on a hill. Jerusalem, specifically the Temple Mount, was the center point of all Jewish community. All of the Jews were told that they were to come at least a couple of times a year and offered the Lord something at Jerusalem. It was a part of their history. It was a part of their heritage. But more than that, it was the uh, attraction of the known world at that time. In fact, today, the Temple Mount is still the most fought-over piece of real estate on God's blue marble planet. The Muslims fight over it. The, the, the Christians and the Jews all lay claim to this same piece But God said to these people who were standing around him, you are a city on a hill. What he was telling them is, just like people come to Jerusalem and see the temple, people come to you, to to me, and they see you. Can I tell you this morning, the startling reality, Jesus is not here in the flesh. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. But our job is to introduce people to Jesus. Here's the scary part. Before they see Jesus, they'll see you. Jesus said, you're a city on a hill. Now, I want to take you into our text this morning and show you how significant this passage is. Are you ready? I want to read the whole thing again. It's short. Matthew 5, 13. But you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how then shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. You're a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. He says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. If you're a note taker this morning, the the first little section here I want to talk about, number one, is we must know our function. We must know our function. Jesus starts this out and he says, you are the salt of the earth. We got to stop right there and ask ourselves the question, why salt? There's so many things he could have picked. Why salt? Hey, the answer is closer to most of us than you realize. How many of you are familiar with this one word in our English language? The one word that everybody cares about. If you say you don't care about it, you're lying. One word we all care about. We spend our life pursuing it. In a way, it sort of makes the Fiscal world go round. It's the word salary. Anybody ever heard that word before? The word salary refers to an amount of wages that are agreed upon that a person is paid. It comes from the Latin word from the Roman culture, salarium, where we get the word salary. Specifically, uh, where it comes from is that in the days of Jesus, and specifically in the Roman culture, salt was such a valuable commodity. It was so valuable that a portion of a Roman soldier's salary was salt. Hence, 
Some of you have said this about a bad employee or whatever. They're not worth their salt. That's where it came from. They're not worth their salt. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. So I think the first thing that we can see there is that we're valuable. We're a valuable part of this world, of this society. God sees us as having purpose. He sees us as having a a particular unique plan in his world. We've got to ask ourselves, what does salt do? Well, one characteristic of salt, very plainly, is salt gives flavor. Gives flavor. I'm going to make a confession to you this morning. I salt my food before I taste it. Do. Family thing. Runs in the family. I like salt. It gives flavor. In fact, if it don't have salt on it, I don't want it. If I ever get to a point where I can't eat it on my food, I just want Jesus to take me on to heaven. Salt gives flavor. It announces its presence. In fact, how many times have you ever eaten something and you realize, wow, that's got salt on it? You know, if we're the salt of the earth, your presence should be noticeable in the world. If we're salt of the earth, your presence ought to be made known to those around us. Salt gives flavor. Beyond that, salt is also used as a preservative. In ancient days, when they didn't have dehydrators and when they didn't have things of that nature, they would take meats and they would pack it in salt. Pack it in salt. That's why those in the country and those that come from uh, slave days, a lot of times they, they, they like the types of meat that were salty because that's all they had. The cheapest parts of the pig, that salt meat, the salt pork. They, they, all of that comes from culture. It, it comes because salt is such a preservative. Do you know something? That if we're the salt of the earth, we should be preservatives in the earth. We should preserve truth. We should preserve righteousness. We should preserve moral value and clarity in our society. Problem is, recent recent statistics say, I believe it's 50, only 59% of people who attend the average evangelical church in America believes that the Bible is divinely inspired and is God's infallible rule of authority. In other words, a large portion of our people who claim to be Christians say that the Bible is truth, but it's not absolute truth. It rings to the secularist society around us that says what's true to you may not be true to me. Hello. Salt has to purify. Here's something else salt does. Are you ready? Salt stings. Have you ever got sweat in your eyes? Mowing the yard the other day, trying to find something to do, and I was mowing, and all of a sudden it got real hot, and 
Next thing I know, my contacts were burning, and I had to get something and wipe my face because salt burns. If you've ever got salt in a wound, stings. Let me tell you something. Christians are not supposed to be mean. We're not supposed to be hateful. But if our message doesn't sting sometimes, we've lost our saltiness. When we try to tailor everything, not to offend people, when we try to tailor everything to keep the masses in the crowds, what we do a lot of times is we offend Offend the very God who called us. Jesus never compromised his message. Not once. John 6 verse 66 says that Jesus turned to his disciples that were following him and he said, hey, you're only following me because of the fish and the loaves. The Bible says they were offended and they turned and they followed him no more. Jesus was salty. Because Jesus knew it wasn't the number of the crowd that mattered, but the position of the heart. We've got to know our function. Salt stings. But Jesus said, this salt that is so valuable, this salt that was paid as wages, that its functionality is to season and to sting and to preserve. He says, when this salt loses... Is flavor. Listen to this. Then it's good for nothing. Good for nothing. Somebody say good for nothing. Remember I told you salt stings? Let me sting you for a second. In Revelation chapter 3, in the year of around 90 AD, John, the old John, was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And there they tried to kill him and he escaped death. He's one of the, only, the only one of the twelve that escaped a martyr's death. He died of old age. But John, on parchment paper, wrote the vision that God showed him that we now know as the book of Revelation. And he wrote with that parchment pen under the inspiration of God the letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor. There was Pergamos and Thyatira and Philadelphia and many of these other churches. But in Revelation chapter number 3, there's one that's very specific. It's called the church of Laodicea. Laodicea was a place that sat between springs of hot water. And in those days that they had made infrastructure, if you can believe it or not. Some of it's still in ancient existence to this day. If you ever get a chance to see uh, Herod's palace by the sea in Caesarea Philippi, it is amazing. They had heated floors. So the king didn't walk around on a cold floor. Because there were ducts and pipes underneath there that they would pump in heated water. Technology. By the time the water would get from the hot spring to the town of Laodicea, it was from hot to lukewarm. And Jesus used that 
to give us a powerful illustration, a warning, if you will, to the church at Laodicea. See, salt is not supposed to lose its flavor. Because when it loses its flavor, it's good for nothing but to be cast down and trampled under the foot of men. And in Revelation chapter 3, here's what Jesus told the Laodicean church. He said, I would that you were hot, and I would that you were cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew you, vomit you, violent words there, out of my mouth. But can I tell you what Jesus is saying about Christians here who lose their flavor? He said, I would, I would that you were on fire for me. Or I would that you were a dirty, rotten sinner. But nothing does the body of Christ more disjustice than a lukewarm Christian. That's tough. Those aren't my words. The words of Christ. He's saying, I would that you be all the way in or all the way out. Because when you're halfway in and you wear your little t-shirt around town, you make the rest of us look bad. When you use your filthy language, when you curse out the waitress when she doesn't come to your table, come on, when you don't tip, hello. When you do things that are inappropriate, Jesus said, I would that you were hot and I would that you were cold, but please don't lose your flavor. The salt of the earth. And he moves on from there and he says, you're the light of the world. What does light do? Light, one aspect of light is light shines. It illuminates. It makes clear that which has been hidden. You know, if we're the light of the world, then God needs us to make known his glorious truths to all people. Now, I used to struggle with this passage. Because in a prior passage, Jesus makes this statement. He says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. John says the same thing in John chapter 1. He says, and the light came in the world and men did not, did not comprehend it because they loved darkness more than they liked light. But then we have this conundrum here because Jesus says to the believers of those days... You are the light of the world. Interesting. Goes back to creation. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was. Then in the order of creation, he made the sun, which is the greater light, and the moon, which is the lesser light. Do you know the moon actually doesn't give off light? The moon only has light Because it's a reflection of the sun. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's saying, you're my ambassadors. An ambassador goes and stands in the the presence of a dignitary, receives instructions, and then carries out those orders. Listen, you and I, when we get saved, Jesus calls us into his holy army, and he makes us an ambassador of the kingdom. We're soldiers in the army of God, and we are the light of the world in this community. Not a denomination, the body of Christ. Light shines God's love, his grace, his truth. Dark world. 
As my pastor says, a, a church should be the light of the world. The beacon of hope in its community. And when the world is at its worst. How many of you believe the world is at its worst it's ever been? When the world is at its worst, it deserves a church at its best. When the world is at its worst, it deserves a church that is at its best. We need to be the light of the world. Not only does light illuminate, here's another thing, light exposes. Have you ever ran through the house in the middle of the night without turning the light on? You stumble over something, stubbed your toe, tripped, fell. Happens. When you turn the light on, it exposes the fact that you put something right here you forgot about. And now you will always remember it because the pain of your throbbing toe is edged into your medulla oblongata. Hello. Light exposes darkness. Do you know why the Bible says in John that men hate the light? Because it exposes their wicked deeds. It exposes them. You know what the Bible says about some people? It says the things that they do in secret are so bad, they shouldn't even be named among the saints. Light is supposed to expose darkness. Guess what, folks? If you are in a church that's full of the Holy Ghost, if you're in a community that's full of crime and homelessness and drugs and alcohol and abuse, listen, the world ought to know the church is there. They ought to know that we're here. That's our purpose. It illuminates the path to salvation, providing hope and direction. It exposes darkness, which is why men hate the light. See, that's why Jesus said no man has a light, hides it under a basket, under a bushel. Because a hidden light does no good because it cannot fulfill its purpose. Jesus said you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Not that you will be, you are. You are. But he said, nobody takes their light, hides it. Then it defeats its purpose. But you know what I found? Don't really realize how many options you have until you start looking for things, whether you're building or you're shopping or whatever. You see, in Jesus' day, the lighting that they had was a little wick oil lamp, put some cotton, put some material in the bottom and douse it with oil or kerosene and light it. And I mean, you know, the markets of Jerusalem didn't have 50 different kinds of lighting that you could get. I mean, that was pretty much it. And these lamps were used in the homes to provide illumination. And at nighttime, when the world was dark, you could see the lights in those homes at night. Beautiful picture. But you know, today, I don't know if you've ever gone to Lowe's lately, 
or to Ace here in town or to Home Depot, you almost can lose your mind shopping for lights. What kind of bulbs? What kind of wattage? What kind of fixtures? You just, you have so many options. See, Jesus said you are the light of the world, and we've got to understand that in the culture in which he spoke it, he meant it the way he meant it, which is a light that is fixated, and it works correctly. Problem, though, that in today's culture, the majority of the church is a strobe light. You know what a strobe light does? Off, on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off, off. Listen, that wasn't the created intention of that light. Off, on, off, on, off. Others are worse. They're not strobe lights. They're hooked up to a dimmer switch. So they're not radical. I don't want my buddies at work to get convicted when they cuss around me and drink around me or tell the dirty jokes around me. So I just turn my light down. I don't turn it off, but I turn it down a little bit. Hmm? Then there's this other category that they're, it's, they're the worst of all. They're not strobe lights. Theirs is not on a dimmer switch. Theirs is on a timer. Comes on on Sunday morning. Comes on on Wednesday night. For the rest of the week, they're conserving energy. Jesus said, I didn't give you a light for that. I gave you a light so that it might shine in the darkness. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you that if we're going to function as God called us to, we, number two, we're going to go quickly. Number two, we've got to embrace our identity. Jesus said the church is salt and light in this culture. Friend, I want to tell you something. That in a day where things are getting worse and worse, evil is becoming more prevalent, more open, more in your face. Now listen, rather than curse the darkness, why don't we light a candle? We must understand the uniqueness of our responsibility. Being a city on a hill... No one can miss. We also must face the fact we're the body of Christ. Casting Crowns put a song out several years ago. Early 2000s. Does that qualify as the oldies now? I mean, I was born in the 1900s, so come on. But the song said, if we are the body, then why aren't his hands? Oftentimes, we're, we're waiting on somebody else to do what God has commissioned us to do. Listen, my friend, salt that loses its flavor is become un- impure. In fact, let me, let me backtrack just for a moment. The salt, most of the salt in ancient Rome and in Jesus' day was harvested from the Dead Sea. It was pure. The problem, though, is that when they would take the salt and store it, a lot of times, impurities would mix in with it. Like gypsum. 
when the gypsum would mix with the pure salt, making it unpure, making it devoid of its purpose, what would happen then is it was like Lazarus. After four days in the grave, it stinketh. Tell you what, Christians who lose their flavor, salt that loses its seasoning, stinketh. We got to embrace our identity, friends. That if change is going to happen, transformation is going to occur. If needs are going to be met, it's going to have to be through the body of Christ. Church is the answer to a hurting community. Church is the answer to a hurting community. And I will be the first to tell you on this Mission Sunday, we are hypocritical if we go across the sea, yet we never go across the street. It's not a pick one, both. We got all this Holy Ghost power. We talk in real pretty tongues. But when it comes to reaching the lost, we don't have enough power to blow the fuzz off a peanut. It's tight, but it's right. Folks, this morning, I want to challenge us and encourage us to embrace our identity as salt and light in this community. Can I tell you this morning, and I'm about to wind down this plane, but let me tell you, you could have been born anywhere, you could have lived anywhere, but like Esther was caught in the moment of fulfilling the will of God, and Esther was told these words, you are in the kingdom for such a time as this. What if I were to tell you, you live where you live for a purpose. Some of you need to stop wishing for greener pastures. You heard about the, the little boy, right? He was eight years old and he watched his older brothers get to do all the fun stuff around the house, but his mama's answer to why he couldn't participate was, um, no, because you're too young. So when he was eight years old, he said, I'm dying to get to my brother's age so I can do what he does. Then when he got to his brother's age, he says, I'm dying to graduate high school. Then when he got to his senior year in high school, he said, man, I'm dying to graduate college. Then when he got to college, he said, I'm dying to get married. Then when he got married, he said, man, I'm dying to have a family. And then when his kids got in that age where they were getting on his nerves, he said, man, I'm dying for these kids to get out of the house. And then he said, after working 40 hours a week, he said, man, I'm dying to see the day when I can retire. Then he was old, 80 years old, and he said, now I'm just dying. We're always looking for something better. Never taking initiative where we are. Friends, let me tell you something. Life is not a Netflix show. If you don't like it, get up and change it yourself. Cursing about how bad the community is and why it doesn't have this and it doesn't have that. It's, it's, that doesn't do any good. 
It doesn't do any good in a church. It doesn't do any good in a community. Listen, many hands make the job go quickly. And what would happen if we all linked hand in hand and said we're going to be an element of transformation and change in our community? Not only will we be a city on a hill, but coincidentally, this church sits on a hill. We got to live out our purpose. What does that look like? That means when we're out in the world, we got to live lives of integrity. We got to live lives of purity. And we got to live lives of compassion. We've got to engage the community, addressing its needs and its challenges. Listen, it's so important for us to realize this morning that. If we want to make a difference, if we want to affect change, the first person we must wrestle with is the man in the mirror. We must embrace our identity as God called men and women who are saved, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, commissioned endorsed, appointed, sent out to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost, the hurting, and the broken. We've got to engage our community, addressing its needs and its challenges. Listen, folks, when the world is hurting and our community is struggling, we need to strive for them to say First Assembly can help First Assembly can help they'll be there let me brag just for a moment on our church family because I don't want you to think I'm passionate about this saying we don't do anything no, 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 no that's not what I'm saying some of us do but all of us don't Today is a commissioning service for you to get your flavor back and to uncover your light. Yesterday when we were finishing up at the Hope Center, by the way, is a community outreach that we support monthly as a church that, that feeds people who are hungry that may not qualify for government assistance. You know, the rich don't need it. Um, the poor and get assistance but there's this little area you know where people that really need help can't get it and the lady said wait you mean to tell me you got another group of people working somewhere else and you do this how often she was blown away here's what she said He said, we can't do this. Can't do it without your help. Let me tell you something some of you may not know. The Bible says, pure and undefiled religion, taking care of the widows and the orphans in times of distress and keeping oneself unspotted from the world. 
Do you know that every single month, our church allots so much money to help needs that DHS has. And when kids are taken out of a home and somebody says, hey, I'll take them, but I don't have a bed, I don't have any clothes, I don't have whatever, our church, Michelle West, helps coordinate that, our nursery coordinator. Every, every month, we're helping a tangible need in our community. In the school season, Pastor Seth and Pastor Sally are in the high schools week after week unless something just happens and and they can't go but they're more than not they're there available they cook a meal for teachers because you know what they said they said the middle school and and the elementary schools they get all of the help all of the resources we don't have anything so we said we can help you you know after some time those teachers sit down let their guard down and talk to them about problems, problem students, problem marriages, problems in their life. Now when we see them in town, they stop and they talk to us. When there's trouble at the school, they call that guy back there. They call Sally. Hey, we've had a crisis. Come see. Come, come, come sit with us. And to be quite honest, we get a special privilege to do things other people aren't allowed to do. Because relationship opens the door. Folks, listen to me. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I didn't come up with that. That's a John Maxwell quote, but it's still true. Compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion. Listen, we're a transformative presence that inspires and points people to Christ. We've got to live out our purpose on purpose. Everybody to close their Bible this morning. And I want you to stand on your feet.